Hi, I'm Michael Siddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. So the U.S. election is just days away, uh, Nick. The Democratic candidate is ahead in the polls, but Donald Trump will eventually win. That's what happened in 2016. Yeah. Oh, and yes. now Sorry. here I we thought, are again. I thought, I, I thought <laughs> we were having some type of uh, time machine trend that was, episode where you were telling me what happened. I was just, what? Well, we are going to fire up our time crystal and go back to 2016 uh, and show a quick clip from CNN just to set the stage. Right now, the CNN poll of polls, the average of five national polls, still has Clinton ahead by five. That's a lead, and it's not insignificant. But if Trump can whittle down that margin to under the margin of error, we may truly have no idea what will happen on one week and one day from today. So there you go. Uh, there is a lot of national polling suggesting that Clinton would win, but there's you, you, you can sense just in that clip that there was some reservations about that. Why was it so hard to predict what would happen in 2016? And, and well, did polls get it wrong? So there was something that definitely went wrong, um, but it had to do with converting polling data into the Electoral College. So, you know, when you when you look at the top five polls that were released in the close of the campaign, you know, we we heard the clip. Uh, they, you know, four of the five had Clinton ahead and actually Clinton did win the popular vote by about two percent. You can see that uh, some pollsters estimated that she wouldn't win by three or four. But the fact of the matter is the pollsters, all the major pollsters or most of the major pollsters were within the margin of error predicting uh, Clinton to win the popular vote. The mm -hmm. failure was actually in the most important thing, which was the Electoral College, because it's not a proportional democracy in America. It is the Electoral College that actually picks the president. And when people went, or when analysts like Nate Silver went to convert the polling data into the Electoral College data, that's where we ran into big, uh, big problems as an industry. And uh, because, you know, what people thought was with Clinton ahead and consistently ahead for most of the campaign and the popular support, that, that might also mean that uh, that she would potentially win the Electoral College, but that's not the case because we had those crazy, Michael, you remember they had those like probability things, kind of like probability oh, yeah. of a Clinton win and probability yep. of a Trump win. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, right now we talk about probabilities. I went to a website that I go to fairly regularly, 338 Canada. Mm -hmm. predict they have they've been crunching the chances of a biden win and chances of a trump win and it looks very similar to 2016 i think biden's at like 81.7 percent chance of winning trump at only 17.4 percent and uh what people don't realize is that for these things like 40,000, 50,000 simulations are run and then in those simulations biden for example wins 80 percent of the time but trump still wins 17% of the time. Hmm. And uh, so it's kind of like the weather, you know, Michael, like we read the weather and when there's zero chance of rain, it's usually right. But as soon as there's any chance of rain, 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%, that mean it can rain under yeah. certain circumstances. So, uh, so we shouldn't think that 80% chance of Biden to win does not mean it is a guarantee. It means that he's more likely on the balance of probability, but that Trump can still win the electoral college vote and the election. I think we saw that. Uh, I remember working on election night in 2016, and I think a lot of us were were glued to our uh, computer monitor, staring at the New York Times election needle and 
at the start, it seemed to be a sure win for Clinton, and then it suddenly flipped over, and it was it's the same probability, of course. Uh, and the New York Times defended that needle. Um, how do you pull for the Electoral College outcome? That seems like a really tricky thing to do. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, is that these national polls that are historically quite accurate can't be used to do the Electoral College because the Electoral College is done on a state-by-state basis. And this mm. is where state polling comes into, uh, into play. And, you know, the one thing that I do know is that, you know, when you look at the, in the national polling scene and the mainstream media, that they hire major companies that have great track records and they do a good job uh, at the polling and predicting national party support. But when you get to the state level, there's a diversity of firms and organizations commissioning polls. And uh, there's also a diversity of quality. Many times, you know, I've read some of these state polls and I look to see who paid for the poll and it's not listed in the report. Mm. Or I'd read a state poll and it said that we have a statistical model that factors for hidden Trump voters. We hear a lot about that, hidden Trump voters. And, uh, and we don't explain how it, does, how it works, but that we do this kind of stuff. And then for me, whenever I hear any researcher kind of say that they're doing secret things that are not transparent, it's a bit flag for me in terms of having less confidence and the credibility. So mm. Michael, here's a prediction. The risk will not be the national polls. It'll mm. be state polls. And some states like Florida are turning into toss-up states. We even have the, we even, we even have the, the, the Democratic vice presidential candidate, right? Going to Texas. Mm. Like, the Democrats haven't won Texas in a long time, but the gap is narrowing even in that state. So there are toss-up states where the numbers are within the margin of error. They're based on state polls that I will say are wobbly. Yeah. And uh, we should be very careful in some of these electoral college predictions because they're very susceptible to a quick change if, uh, if just one or two percentage points swing in one direction or another. Uh, we also have a massive amount of mail-in ballots in, in the states. I think it's it's the largest amount in history now. Um, how do you, as a pollster, how do you account for that? Is it is it even possible to do to do that? Yeah, well, actually, one thing it makes it a little easier because if people have cast their ballot, they're going to say they're going to report on how they voted. It's hard for them to be unsure, which hmm. is why unsure is so historically low in this particular election. You know, I saw some stats from Associated Press that said that sixty six million ballots have already been cast. And I think in the last uh, US presidential election in 2016, about 150 million ballots were cast. So there are, there are a whole bunch of votes that are already uh, in the bag. But what's interesting is on these early voting, there's a significant division and difference based on how you're gonna vote and who you might vote for. And, uh, you know, what we're seeing in the numbers is that, uh, you know, if you are, uh, for example, if you're voting by mail or have voted by mail, Biden's at 51% and Trump's at 25%. It's like a two to one margin. Wow. For people that are voting in person, um, according to the, the polling that we've seen, Trump's at 50% or thereabouts. And I think Biden is at 20. So... Go figure why Donald Trump is not hot on mail ballots and probably mm. will want to challenge mail ballots if he has any kind of chance because, because uh, you know, if you're voting by mail, 
at this particular point in time, it looks like you're overwhelmingly voting Democrat, while if you're voting in person, you're more likely to be voting for Donald Trump. That seems to check out as well. And in the final days of the campaign, we're seeing Trump, you know, going to these massive rallies um, and Biden, uh, you know, just sort of uh, following pandemic uh, COVID-19 health advice, maybe, you know, not making these massive public gatherings. But I wonder if it's it's Trump knowing that the ground game is is more important for Republicans and, and the turnout at the polls on Election Day. Yeah, well, you know what, uh, when we crunched the numbers on early voting in 2016 and 2020, what you've just said kind of makes complete sense. Hmm. You know, in 2016, 40% of Democrats uh, voted early. In 2020, that went up to 53%. So it's up 13 percentage points. But when you look at Republicans back in 2016, 35% voted early. That's down to 25%, which means for Donald Trump, he's looking at numbers like this and thinking, you know what, there are fewer Republicans that have gone out to cast ballots. He needs to be proactive and out there in order to persuade them to come out and vote. And, uh, and conversely, for, for Biden, he's like, well, half of my people have voted. Hmm. Well, I don't, you know, it's, the ground game isn't as, uh, isn't as important to him because of the vast majority, or not the vast majority, a significant proportion of Democratic uh, voters or people that are voting uh, Democrat or for Biden have already uh, have already cast their ballots around 53%. So I, I have to ask Nick, the way things stand so far, um, how how are you interpreting uh, the polling? Uh, do do you? I, I don't want you to make a prediction, obviously, yeah. but but how accurate do you think uh, the electoral college predictions are right now? Huh. Not stable. How's that? Mm. I'm pretty confident in, uh, you know, I think the, the fact of the matter is, is back in 2016, uh, Clinton won the popular vote and and the campaign was, by all intents and purposes, a terrible campaign. So mm. I, th I think based on what we've seen so far in the election, there's only a handful of days left um, that uh, Biden will win the popular vote. He hasn't had a major gaffe. He's had a stable advantage throughout the whole thing. So I, th I think I'm pretty comfortable in predicting that he'll win. The popular vote, assuming that all the votes are counted and mail vote votes count and mm -hmm. uh, are considered valid. Uh, but uh, when it comes to the Electoral College, uh, I would be very cautious because there are a number of battleground states that are a toss up statistically from a polling perspective. And uh, if they flip, then any uh, then I would say all bets are off. And to put this into context, Michael, back in 2016, that's all it took was you know, about 70,000 votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania to flip from Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump, and he won the Electoral College vote. 70,000 votes out of 150 million votes cast. What I want to say is that these state races, the polling in the state races, the Electoral College predictions can be very fragile. Hmm. And, uh, you know, if they all tip towards Biden, then it'll be a big win for him. But if it's a toss-up, who knows what might happen and it could be much more competitive than some people think. Wow. Thanks, Nick. Uh, now, north of the border in our own country of Canada, uh, we've just had a couple pandemic elections uh, and that favored the incumbents, Saskatchewan and, and BC, uh, as well as uh, a couple federal by-election races in, in Toronto. Um, it seems like a, a a good political move to have an election uh, if you're the incumbent. Uh, so, 
What do you think is going on with the federal Liberal Party, and will we see a, a fall election? Well, you know, I think when we when we looked at the uh, the showdown uh, between the opposition parties and, and the Liberal government over the naming of the committee that would examine the WE controversy, uh, that was really quite telling. You know, the Liberals were not willing to blink. Uh, the NDP capitulated. You know, they said nice things like, you know, we're mm. not going to give the Liberals an election. I think that's a very valid point to say, but uh, they supported the Liberals and didn't get anything. Uh, the Liberals probably realized that they didn't need to give anybody anything because they'd be happy to go to the polls. Our, our polling suggests that the Liberals have the advantage uh, right now over the Conservatives. And uh, if an election were held today, they'd probably win that election. So I think the Liberals are looking at New Brunswick, Saskatchewan, British Columbia. Those are three provinces with three different incumbent parties, right? Mm. You have the Liberal Part, the Conservative Party in New Brunswick, the New Democrats in BC, the Saskatchewan Party. The one thing that they had in common, all incumbent governments. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and all of those uh, incumbent governments were rewarded with very strong mandates. So I don't think the Liberals are afraid of having an election right now. They might even want one before, uh, you know, 2021 rolls around. So, so why is that? Why would, why would they prefer an election now instead of later? Okay, how about this, Michael? It's, it's a choose your poison, <laughs> choose your poison uh, decision making. So hmm. today's poison for the Liberals is the weak controversy, right? Hmm. And lack of transparency, criticism probably from the opposition parties on how they're uh, managing and fighting uh, the pandemic. And then that would be the poison and the Liberals have to decide, okay, is that poison lethal or is that poison not lethal? Hmm. The second poison is in 2021 and 2022 where there's less stimulus, people are losing their jobs, businesses are closing because there's less support for businesses and, uh, and the economy is in the gutter. And who knows what happens, whether, you know, we're on wave two of the pandemic, there's nothing to say that there could be, clutch your chest, a wave three of the pandemic. Right, right. Um, so I think for, for the liberals, the, the, the binary choice for them is go now, take your hits on the weak controversy, but still pump stimulus out there. Hmm. Or go later, not have the weak controversy probably as, uh, as big an issue, but have to deal with the human fallout of cutting back on, on stimulus. And uh, I would hazard to say that if, uh, if Canadians are re receiving stimulus checks, that they are probably in a better mood than Canadians who are not receiving stimulus checks. And I mm. think that's, uh, that's, those are the two things that the Liberals have to try to sort through in terms of their political future, because there are risks on both sides of the equation. Now, wh what did you make of the two Toronto by-elections that we just saw uh, in uh, Toronto Centre and York Centre? It, it, it seemed like the Liberals may not have done as well as expected, if that's fair to say. Does that sort of put a, a damper on possible, you know, hopes if, if they're actually hoping for a fall election? Well, they won, which the Liberals are probably happy that they won. Voter turnout was extremely low, like between 25 and 30% in both of those uh, by-elections. Um, and, but the thing is, is that, you know, the government wasn't hanging in the balance. I think if, if the government, if the Liberals having lost seats might've been put in jeopardy, we might have seen a higher voter turnout, not just of liberals, but of opposition mm. to the opposition parties. 
But I think the, the two key takeaways, let me say three takeaways that I have from the by-elections. First of all, uh, Annemi Paul in Toronto Centre did very well, mm -hmm. uh, you know, considering how she did in the last election and that she was in a very safe liberal riding. She did very well. And uh, I think there's a little bit of enthusiasm in the, I'll call it the Green Tribe, with her as the leader. And uh, she did very respectably. Um, the other thing is that the Conservatives actually did pretty well in the, in the York Centre riding. And I think the Conservatives are enthusiastic. And my third comment, and this is, can I put a little asterisk? Sure. <laughs> Maxime Bernier, People's oh. Party of Canada. I don't think the Conservatives have to worry about vote splitting. He decided to run in that riding. I don't know why he did that. Mm. It puts his personal brand at risk. Uh, and then I think he only received between four to 500 votes in total. Yeah. Um, wasn't really relevant to the outcome. So I think those are those are the things that we learned out of those two by-elections. Hmm. Now, uh, my final question on this: uh, what, what do you think the strategy is going forward forward for the Green Party? Where where might we see Enemy Paul uh, run? Well, if you're looking at the political map of Canada and the polling and uh, ridings that have the best opportunity for the Green Party of Canada, they would be in British Columbia. British Columbia, hmm. let's, let's face it, if there's ever a green revolution, it's gonna start in BC, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are, you know, they now have three uh, provincial members. They have, they have federal members. Uh, the environment is a top issue in British Columbia. Um, and that, uh, you know, BC would be uh, prime territory for not just Annamie Paul, but any, any Green Party candidate. So, you know, I think, uh, I think if there's any uh, kind of future opportunity in British Columbia uh, for her to run, that would probably be, uh, that should probably be at the top of her list as a, as a pretty high priority. Oh. Uh, Nick, for this episode, do you have uh, any big takeaway or a, or a prediction of, of what's ahead? Yeah, how about for the US election? Uh, get your popcorn, get uh, your beverage, uh, Tylenol, cough syrup i think you stress should get, ball you should, you stress be, ball for me stress ball you should get it all and be prepared to yell at the tv set mm. uh, because uh, i think it's going to be a long night and i think it's gonna it's uh, you know it's uncertain and it, the one thing to watch is the voter turnout if the voter turnout is heavy that'll probably favor the democrats if the voter turnout is the same as before or even lower for some reason because who knows how many people will show up in this new covid pandemic world to vote on election day if fewer people show up, that could be uh, that could be positive news uh, for Donald Trump. Oh, uh, Nick, as always, thank you. And where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Nick Nik Nanos, or you can go to the Nanos website for oodles of stats: www.nanos.co. And I'm also on Twitter at Michael Siddle, and you can find all the latest news on the U.S. election and Canadian federal politics at ctvnews.ca. Thanks for listening.